Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We're so glad you joined us today. If you've been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. I'm thankful to be here. So is Lena. I'm thankful that uh, Pastor John asked us to come. I pray God will continue to bless him. When I think of him, I have to tell you, it's an emotional thing. I'm so sorry that you never met his mother. You would have loved her. She was a very remarkable young lady. Actually, when we finally built the church building, she was our first secretary, and she did that work for for 17 years. And uh, it was wonderful to know her and and, and to see her her passion for the things of God. Um, I see so many new faces, and that's wonderful. It's great to see that. Keep coming. Keep, keep serving the Lord. For those who, are, who have been here longer, you may remember uh, Brother Carmine DiBiase. So he went to be with the Lord Friday morning. He was 96 years old. I think the last time he preached here at Weston Road, he was 93. And he, and he wanted to come back. But just a word about it. When his mother got saved, that's a long time ago, um, his father, her husband, was so upset at her that at a certain point, he called his in-laws and told them, come and get your daughter. So they came. And when they rang the doorbell, um, she was the one that answered the door. She didn't know that her husband had called his in-laws. And her father lifted his hand to begin shouting. But nothing came out of his mouth. So he stopped, put his hand down, and then started again. But nothing would come out of his mouth. He did it a third time. And when he realized something strange was happening, that he couldn't yell at his daughter and take her by the hand and pull her out of the house, he took his wife's hand and said, well, let's go home. So they went home. But eventually, her husband got saved. And and he became the second pastor of the church in Montreal. And Carmen de Bias, he became the youth pastor in that church. And um, in, in, in one three-week period, Spencer, 120 young adults got, got the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It was an unusual family. His father then went to Italy to be a missionary. And, and one day in Sicily, he was challenged by a priest to... Uh, a public debate. And so he accepted the challenge. And uh, the news spread in the area, so a lot of uh, students came to, to make fun of this pastor. But halfway through the debate, the priest lifted his hands in the air and said, I can't win with you. All you talk about is the Bible. And the priest left. And so Pastor DiBiase started to preach, and one young man that came to make fun of this preacher, accepted the Lord. Now you know him because this young man eventually 
eventually came to Toronto and married and had eight children and ended up in the DR where he built one house for a poor pastor and then he built another and another until he built 1,500 homes and, and 10 villages as Brother Elia Madonia. Just through that one lady who gave her heart to the Lord, who the, the parents tried to stop her and it didn't work. That's how the gospel goes. It goes from one generation to another. You'll never know the influence that your life will have on people if you share with them the word of God. So God is faithful to every generation. And I was praying this morning, Lord, this is another generation. It's Most people here don't even know what a black and white TV is or, or rabbit ears or having to stand up to change the channel. I remember when faxes came out. You mean to tell me you can send, put this paper in this machine and in a couple of minutes it'll be in Japan? And now fax machines are almost antiquated because there are other ways of sending messages. It's, it's a different age. You know, just thinking, when I graduated from Bible school, the valedictorian, like I can't tell you the text, I, I can't remember. I just remember one thing he said. He said, if there are people on other planets, they need to be saved too. I remember, I remember him saying that. And no matter how advanced technology is coming, people need, still need to be saved. That's, that's the... And the message doesn't change. We sang this beautiful song. There's no other name under heaven among men whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus. There's, there's power in that name. We're part of the fellowship. It's called the Canadian Assemblies of God. We have our convention coming up. It's the end of, of uh, September. I so much wanted to have it here. But the church won't be finished yet. The building won't be finished yet. It'll be in Brantford. The speaker is Brother Tom Trask. He's a great fellow. You'll, you'll be blessed. I trust that a lot of you will be able to come. It's, by the way, it's our 74th convention. Next year will be 75, God willing. And we thank God for that. Well, since I've, last time I came, I have a new knee. And I'm so great. I have a $10,000 knee. And it's working wonderfully. When, when, when... The surgeon finished, he came, he came to the head of the bed and says, well, the operation went well and you'll be very happy with your knee, and I am. And I'm so grateful and uh, some of you have to have it. I mean, if God heals it, fine, but if he has to use a doctor, um, that's good too. So, I, you know, it, you have to take a bit of time to recuperate. It's eight months now, but I'm, I'm walking great, but... The first few weeks I was sitting in the kitchen on a recliner and they don't use stitches anymore. They use staples. I had 40 of them and I'm looking at those staples. How are they going to get them out? I mean, I was on my mind day and I'm thinking of those things, you know, you take out staples. How are they going to do it? And that was bothering me so much, but she came, boom, 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 got them out and, and the leg is healed, thank the Lord. Well, here's what I was doing, by the way. I couldn't go to church or whatever, so... I decided every morning I'd read the Old Testament and every evening the New Testament. And, that, and that's why well, I didn't read it, really. It's, I had it read to me on the iPad, really. I was listening, and then with, with, with that pen, with the thing in the end, I would underline and whatever, and it was great. But, of course, you start in Genesis, and, and um, 
I saw this text in Genesis. You know how you read the Bible all your life and all of a sudden, sometimes a verse comes out that you say, man, it's amazing. So I'm gonna, I want to speak with God's help this morning on three trees. Two of them are in the book of Genesis. Open your Bibles with me. Now, I know, Trevor, I'm old-fashioned. I, I would prefer to say open the Bible, but I know it. But I got good messages on that. It's always opening the book. It's not the smart device. It's in chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Spencer, would you mind just lifting this a little bit? Thank you, brother. Holy Spirit, help us this morning. Help me, every one of us. Lord, don't let the demons steal the seed as they go from the preached word to the pew. I pray that the word of God will not return void. It will read us, write us, heal us, transform us. And help us to live by it, I pray. I pray again for Pastor Jonathan, for Priscilla, for the baby to be born healthy in every way. For the precious children in this church, oh Lord, we pray your hand of blessing on them. Your protection from evil people. Father, grant it, I pray. Bless the teachers who are ministering to them this morning. And our sister churches across the city and the country. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you also for your monthly support. It's, it's a great help and we're very blessed to receive it. Chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground... The Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We'll read to here. So here are two trees. The tree of life, the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. First of all, just a word about uh, the book of Genesis. It's, it's an unusual book. You know that Genesis covers more history. Just the book of Genesis covers more history than all the rest of the books in the Bible put together. It's an amazing book. It's in, it's in the book of Genesis that we are introduced to the universe, to humankind, to sin, to cities to languages, to nations, to Israel, to the story of redemption. Genesis introduces us to a principle that goes right across the Bible. Here's the principle. Without the shedding of blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Excuse me. Talk to your Jewish friends. Excuse me. In the weekend of atonement, how are your sins forgiven? There's no temple. 
There are no priests. There are no sacrifices. No animals' blood. How? If your Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, how do you receive remission for your sins? Well, there was a sacrifice. There was a lamb who was slain before the foundation of the earth and was slain in person 2,000 years ago. He came to be the Savior of the world. It was His blood that was shed that causes us to have our sins forgiven. So the book of Genesis introduces us to, to this principle. It records the beginning of human history, of sin of the Hebrew people, of redemption. God reveals that the material universe... What we see with our eyes, what astronomers can discover, are all of God's work. It's a book of firsts. It's the first marriage, the first family, the first birth, the first sin, the first murder, the first musical instruments. It's in the book of Genesis that we find out about the promise of redemption. We learn about Abraham and the covenant God made with him. It's only in Genesis that we learn about the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's only in Genesis that we reveal how Abraham's descent is revealed how Abraham's descendants ended up in Egypt and it sets the stage for the Exodus. It's an amazing book, this amazing book of, of Genesis. Let's get back now to our text. That was just extra now. We're introduced to a garden. And I think we have to understand that it was a, a garden that was enclosed somehow. The Bible says it was eastward of Eden, most likely where the country of Iraq is today. The scripture describes the vegetation in that garden that God planted. Um, we believe in, in, in literal Uh, 24-hour days. And we learn from the book of Genesis that today started last night. Because as God describes the days, he says, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And the evening and the morning were the second day. So what we did last night prepares us for today. I know we're in another generation, but before Lena and I were married... Somehow, I was friends with the director of the Canadian Bible Society. He said, David, protect your Saturday nights. Because Sunday is the Lord's Day. And you have to minister. So, Saturday night's important. Well, by the way, in Bible school, they said, Spencer, protect your hands. Because you have to lay hands on the sick. That was just extra too, but it's, it's there. The, the garden is described. We read that he made all these trees, all the vegetation, everything good to eat. And then we're introduced to a very unusual tree. It's called the tree of life. Now, in North America, years ago, when immigrants started coming from Europe and like our great-grandparents from Italy, they thought, boy, in America... Money grows on trees until they got it and realized, no, it doesn't. But this garden had a tree of life. The fruit that grew on the tree is not described. 
But here's what we're able to understand with the help of God's Holy Spirit. Most likely, it was not the intention of God that Adam and Eve should ever physically die. It's called the tree of life. So it's related to eternal life. It's related to fellowship with God. It has to do with immortality. As long as Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden and had access to the tree of life, they would enjoy fellowship with God. They would never get sick. They would never know death. Excuse me. They would never be aware of their nakedness. You know that verse. It's in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned. What does it say? All have sinned and then have come what? Short of what? The glory of God. There are theologians that believe that somehow it was this glory that surrounded Adam and Eve that did not make them aware of their nakedness. Somehow the glory of God was there and so it, it was not part of their thinking that we're not clothed. But you know, this is not the only book in the Bible that speaks about the tree of life. If you go from the last book, from the first book to the last book, read with me in, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. That verse says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God says to the church. He who wins or overcomes, I will let him eat of the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. The word paradise is really a Persian word and it also means garden. So somehow, it's not revealed in scripture, but somehow even in eternity, that tree of life will be used by God for the sustenance of our glorified, resurrected bodies. But that's not the only place. Go to chapter 22 in the book of Revelation. Chapter 22, if it's on the screen. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God the Lamb. Next verse. In the middle of its streets on either side of the river was what? The last chapter in the Bible, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, I think we're going to have to wait for eternity to understand. But here we are in the book of Genesis, introduced to the fact that God, when he created Adam as a man, not as a baby, and then Eve as a full-grown woman, placed them in the garden, placed all that they needed to live healthily and for eternity. It's just, it's, it's just there. It's the tree of life. And we're introduced to it again in the last book of the Bible. The tree of life. So even our new bodies, our resurrected glorified bodies, will be dependent on the Lord and on the tree of life for strength, for healing. What a blessing that tree must have been. The tree of life. Interestingly, on, on on Facebook, there's a lot of things about Israel. 
And recently I saw that people are studying this particular tree. They're trying to discover the tree of life. And then yesterday, or the other day, Lena said, look what they're studying now. There's a Bible course and it's called the tree of knowledge. That's the second tree. Let's go back to Genesis. So in chapter 2 of Genesis, let's read verse 9 again. Chapter 2, verse 9. Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Look at verse 16. I'm sorry, brother. If you have it there, just put it up. Verse 16. Chapter 2, Genesis verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden you may freely eat. Verse 17. Genesis 2, 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Again, we're walking on ground that we just need help from the Holy Spirit to help us understand, to put together this picture. It seems like God designed a test for Adam and Eve. It's all yours. Everything is yours. Eat where, whatever you want from whichever tree. But one tree, you should not eat of it. Because if you do, you'll die. It was a simple test. And there really was no need to, to, to eat from, from that tree. The entire human race is created by God with the ability to choose right or wrong. Obedience versus disobedience. That's the faith that we have. No one here this morning ever gave your heart to the Lord because somebody stood over you with a sword or put a gun to your head or said, you have to do this. That's, that's not our faith. Jesus says, whoever will come after me, whoever, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Any persuasion comes from the Holy Spirit in us. It's not an outward, physical, either you convert or we chop your head off. It, that's not the faith that you and I receive from God. So God does not force people. He leads, He prompts, He speaks, He, he knows, He knows, He knows how. The bring us to us. Sometimes He allows trials to come and and in those trials, we realize there's no way out. I've got to call upon the Lord. And when you do, God helps you and heals you and, and saves you and forgives you. The Bible says that this tree, the knowledge of, of, the knowledge of good and evil, it seems like it was a very attractive tree. And, and sin is attractive. We, sin is attractive. Don't, don't say it's not because it is. Not all sin, but a lot of it is. He, he created Adam and Eve 
as moral beings with the ability to choose freely to love, to obey their creator or to disobey him. And they had that choice. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents human autonomy. It represents self-rule. Independence from God in all areas of life. When people live without ever praying, without ever any reference to God except when things go bad. Where's God? But while they're living, they don't even think of Him. When they believe that I got this because I got up in the morning and I worked and I sacrificed and I whatever, whatever, and there's no picture of God at all, um, I can do it by myself. That's the picture of what happens to people who eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sounds strange. Please listen. It was never God's plan. I'm so sorry that we learned this now. It was never God's plan for us to know sin by personal knowledge. Here's an example. Beautiful babies here. Well, now not the six or seven month old, but the one or two year old who you say, don't touch the fire, you're going to get burned. Would you put the child's hand in the fire, let the fire burn the child's hand before? No, that's not, that's not what you want to do. You want the child to obey you and to know. My daddy said, my mom said, that if I touch the flame, if I touch the burner on the stove, I'm going to get burnt. So I don't have to do that to know it'll burn me. I just have to believe and obey my mother and father. Now, when they get bigger, they'll know it. That, that, that was God's plan for you and I. God's plan was not that we would know sin by experience, but that we would know sin by discernment and by obedience. So it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So th this, is, this is what that, that tree was. Now, what was the fruit? You know, it's often called an apple, but I think you heard this said. It's not the apple on the tree, it's the pear on the ground. I'll just give you a chance. Just give you a moment. You got it? You got it? Okay. We don't know what, what the fruit was, and it doesn't really matter. Anyway, I feel at home. Apple. We have an Apple iPhone just because we have kids in the States and we can do FaceTime. I don't know all of you here, but who's the second president now of Apple? Tall, thin guy. You know what he said? Publicly, in front of all the shareholders, I want to thank God, he says, for this wonderful blessing that God gave me. He's married to a man. Yeah, so, if it wasn't for FaceTime, I don't think I, I'd still be with, with Blackberry. But This chapter, not chapter 2, but chapter 3, introduces us to the enemy of our souls. I want you to know something about the serpent that we're going to read about now. When I was growing up in, in the ministry, I remember a lot of people, a lot of people would say, no, I'm afraid to draw closer to the Lord or I'm afraid to get 
baptized because then the devil's really going to attack me. Listen, the devil hates us already. He doesn't need any extra reason to hate us more. He hates us with a passion. He hates Jesus Christ with a passion. He despises anyone who, who names the name of Jesus. That, that's his nature. He's a liar. He's a seducer. He's a thief. He's a destroyer. That's his nature. You, no matter what you do to draw close to God, you will not make him more angry than he already is against you. Listen, if God wasn't our defender, we'd be destroyed already by him. Because he's stronger than us, he's smarter than us. He's older than us. He has much more experience than us. He knows how to sow doubt. He knows how to make you believe white is black and black is white. That's what he does. Listen to him. Chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast in the field. I don't believe that the serpent was the serpent that we see today. I don't know what he looked like. But I don't think he was crawling on the ground. I don't know what type of form he had, but it was not a form that was repugnant to Eve. Clear? His speech was cunning. That's what it says. He said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? You hear what he's saying? He knew that God said that. But now he's putting doubt. He, he's sowing doubt in her mind. Listen, we're not to pay attention to the devil. We're to rebuke him in Jesus' name. As soon as you, you feel that he may be trying to tempt you, rebuke him. Verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, that's what he said. Now, did he add touch when he spoke to them? It doesn't say that in chapter 2. He could have. Because when you start touching it, then... then... So he's, it's clear. This is what God said. But listen, don't get in a conversation with the enemy. Look at verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. So first of all, he sowed doubt. And now he's calling God a liar. Because God said it. If you do that, you'll die. He says, You won't die. So now who do I believe? Do I believe the cunning serpent or what God said? Look at verse 5. He goes on. God knows... That in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. That's true. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's somehow true. So here's what he's saying. The reality is, there's a reason why God doesn't want you to eat. He's jealous that you're going to become like him. How can the created being become like the creator? It's not possible. But that's the lie that the devil is sowing in humanity. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she already knew that. That it was pleasant to the eyes. She, she already said that. And a, and a tree desirable to make one wise. 
You want to be smarter than God? God is already, he's already talking with you every evening. You are, you're already enjoying fellowship with him. We used to have these hymn books, the, the hymns, you know, one of them, Altro bene I already have enough. There's nothing. I don't need anything else. But what he's saying here is that really it's not enough. All that God has given you. You've got to eat of this tree. You're going to be so much wiser. So when she saw that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of his fruit and she ate it. And no one likes to sin alone. It's just a deadly principle. People always want to sin with somebody else. Now, at that point, there's only one other person there. And so the Bible says, she also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate it. Look at the next verse. Then it says, the eyes of both of them were open. Excuse me. Were their eyes closed? <laughs> no. It's a spiritual opening now. Because I think, I hate to preach and say I think, but we don't, we're not revealed, it's not revealed as much, but I think godly inspiration will help us understand if somehow they were covered with this glory of God so that their eyes did not see beyond that glory, they just saw everything that looked great. The eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And the next verse line says, And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now, you know what the fig leaves... Now, they, they covered themselves somehow. I don't think they had a needle and thread. Somehow they, they covered themselves. Do you know what the fig leaves represent? They represent all the religions of man. All the good works that man, men want to do to be able to justify themselves before God. I look at all the things I do. I help the poor every Christmas. I buy these baskets. I'm good. And they don't understand that that's, that's, that's not the ticket for heaven. It doesn't work like that. We can keep reading. Look at verse, look at verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They used to wait for him to come. He would come in the cool of the evening, the Bible said. Now, don't ask me how, because God's a spirit. But somehow he, he, he came, and they knew it was him. And they talked with him, and they learned. But now... Now that they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, now they cowered and they hid themselves. And somebody says it's not only the answers in the Bible that are important, it's the questions. This is the first question in the Bible. Adam, where are you? Oh, by the way, second question. Cain, where's your brother? First question, Adam, where are you? So he says, I heard your voice in the garden. Remember the hymn? 
I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear. The Son of God discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. He heard his voice in the garden. And so he hid. That's what sin does. Sin produces shame. It produces fear. It produces inadequacy. It, it destroys good self-esteem. It makes you feel like you're worth nothing. And thank God if that's your case even now. Because that means the Holy Spirit is working in your life. Because I heard your voice and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And who told you were naked, God says. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? And then the blame game started. He said, well, it wasn't me, it was my wife. He goes to the wife, it wasn't me, it was him, the serpent. And here's what happened. You see, the devil says, even if it's, it says that in the Bible, it doesn't matter. I remember this one time. She didn't come to church regularly. Her parents did. She wanted me to perform her, her wedding. But she wanted to marry her mother's brother. Now that was... Uh, when I started in the ministry, my pastor gave me the Quebec Civil Code. And it, it was all instructions on who could marry, who could not marry. How, what is the minimum age for a girl to get married, the minimum age for a man to get married. And if they were younger than that, they needed the signatures of parents. And then who they could not marry. They could not marry siblings. They could not marry whatever, whatever, whatever. But that law is gone out of the window now. You can marry anybody you want. As far as the law is concerned. At, at, at that time, I couldn't... I knew I had read it in the book of Leviticus. But I couldn't give her exactly the chapter and verse, but I did. And the chapter and verse says, an aunt must not marry her nephew. Well, then here's a niece marrying an uncle. So I said, listen, I can't do it. And you shouldn't do it. Because it's in the Bible. Yes, but I love him. I didn't do it. They found somebody else to do it. So, you can't outsmart God. If it's in the Bible, it's, that's what it says. We have to obey him. We, just, we have to obey him. If you want to live a blessed life, you have to obey the Lord. So, they blame each other. Then the next verses, we won't read them. Here's what the devil doesn't want people to know. What you reap is what you sow. There are consequences for sin. There are. Now, thank God that Jesus took our sins in his own body and paid the greatest consequences. But there are consequences for wrong decisions. So the Lord turned to the serpent and judged him. And you read the rest of the chapter, you'll find what it says, that from now on you'll crawl on your belly and eat the dust. So that tells me that he wasn't on his belly when he tempted Adam and Eve. He turned to the woman, I'm sorry ladies, but he talks about the suffering of childbirth. 
It's just there. Turns to the man, sorry, brother. He said, you're going to work with the sweat of your brow and not five days, 35 hours, six days a week. It's, it's, it's there. And then the worst thing happens. Look at the end of chapter 3. Look, start at verse 22, chapter 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us to know good and evil. You see, God did not want us to get burned. He did not want us to carry the baggage of sin. He did not want us to have the invisible scars on our spirit and our heart for the things that we've done wrong. So now he says, he's become like one of us to know good and evil. That was not God's will. And now, here's what it says, listen. Now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. In other words, it would have been possible for Adam and Eve in that state of having sinned and disobeyed and eaten of the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil if they would still have access to the tree of life and whatever that fruit was and be able to eat there, they could live and live and live in that state. It wasn't God's will. Look what it says. Therefore God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. And so he drove out the man and he placed cherubim, it's a high form of angels, at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. No more access. I don't know if anybody could invent such a story. And it's in the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God, where Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, not my word. Just a choice. A few weeks after 9-11, several of my friends, we, we wanted to go there and to see and pray. And we ended up in a church in, in Staten Island. And we, we had friends in that church. And there was a cop in that church. And he was the one. He was a sergeant. He eventually took us in a, a police van uh, right right to 9-11, right to the site. And then when we left it, we had to go through this car wash thing where they had to spray that van from whatever dust that the van would have collected uh, being, being near the site because it was still smoldering. But here's what he told us. On the day of 9-11, after the first plane hit, he was in a station in Brooklyn, and he and so many other guys ran to the roof and looking and still thinking and hoping it's, it's a mistake, it's an error. And when they saw the second plane hit, then they realized, no, this is war. And he said, we all got in our cars and our commander had to stop some of it. We all rushed there. And from Brooklyn to Manhattan... One of the ways to get to Manhattan is through a tunnel. And so we, we, we raced into the tunnel. But when you come out on Manhattan, there are two exits. 
Some of us took the right, some took the left. Is what he told me. The right, you know what it's called? You end up on Church Street. The left, you end up on West Street. Now, how do you make that decision? But it was just subconsciously, wherever the car before you went there, I'll go there, or he went there, I'll follow that car, whatever. But here's what happened. The cops that took the West Street exit ended up on the side of the building, of the buildings that when they fell, crushed all of them. The guys that took the church street survived, and he was one of them. It's just a decision. And we, you know, when you pray, don't only pray for conscious decisions. Pray for, not unconscious, but subconscious type of decisions. That things you would just normally do. I think I told you once about the cop, another cop. He became, he, yeah, he, 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 yeah, he became uh, the chief of police in Los Angeles. And one day, cops have to wear ties. And pastors, well, that's another story. A certain generation of pastors. But their ties have hooks or, or these clips. Well, this one day, he didn't wear the tie, the tie with a clip. He wore a tie with a knot, like this one. He goes to the bank before going to work. He's dressed in a uniform. He has his tie. Robbery takes place. He gets in a fight with the robber. What does the guy do? Grabs his tie. Well, if he was wearing the tie that he was supposed to wear, that tie would have come off right away. But that tie... He pulled the guy right to him, and he almost lost the fight. Just a subconscious decision. Say, Lord, guide our conscious and subconscious decisions. Because it's a small decision. Just take Church Street or take West Street. We didn't pray about it. He just did it. But those people died. Those people lived. They made that decision. They listened to the enemy they believed what he said, which is don't believe God. And that's the greatest sin. It's not drugs. The greatest sin is unbelief. Because last night, if the guy would really believe God, he wouldn't have cheated on his wife. Last night, if the guy really believed God, he wouldn't have killed somebody thinking there are no consequences. There are. Unbelief makes people think there are no consequences to sin. But somehow, if you and I could believe God and tell the devil, one more story, want to hear it? We were going through a struggle once, more than once, but that one time. And we were listening. We had on Christian television, it was Jerry Falwell's program, and his church is 5,000 seats. He's going to be with the Lord now, Jerry. But he invited, if you would have closed your eyes and listened to the preacher that he invited to preach that morning, you would think the preacher was drunk. Because the preacher's name was David Ring. And he had cerebral palsy. So his motor movements were uncoordinated. But it didn't affect the intelligence part of his brain. And he, you know, he, it was interesting to hear him preach. 
because he said, you know, I was so happy that uh, Brother Falwell finally had the wisdom and asked me to come and preach here. Then he said, you know, I thought I'd preach against smoking, but I'd only get about 10% of you. So I want to preach on the 11th commandment, thou shalt not grumble. Well, church, when he finished, not only me and Lena, I think 5,000 people were crying. To hear what he went through all his life because of that sickness. Oh, when his mother, when she died, he threw himself on the bed because she was his greatest fan and supporter. But he had another message. All I tell you, he had another message. He didn't preach it there. Here's the title. Want to hear it? Say yes. Tell the devil to go to hell. That was one of his sermons. That's what we have to do. That's where he belongs. I'm going to finish. There's a third tree. It's not here. But it's in the book of Peter. Open your Bibles with me. The book of Peter. You have it there, brother? Can you put it up? Who himself bore our sins in his own body. Now, it's interesting that there it doesn't say cross. It says tree. And those that have their headquarters in Brooklyn and the Watchtower Society say Jesus died in a tree. But it's just, it's using a word of the type of wood, that's where it came from. Everywhere else is a cross. Here's the third tree, though. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, must, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. Here's the third tree. Thank God. Thank God. The third tree took the consequences of our disobedience because of the second tree. In his body, the scripture says, Jesus took our sins, all our disobediences, all our failures, all our wrong choices, everything that we've ever done or will ever do, not because we want to keep sinning, obviously. He paid for them on the cross, on that tree. Paul says, if I boast, I'll boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the, the, the first tree is still around somehow, somewhere. The last book of the Bible tells us about it. The tree of knowledge is not there as a tree, but it's there as a sin, as a choice. But the cross... The cross, every time you and I take communion, we remember when the pastor presents the bread and we drink, eat the bread and drink the cup, we remember that Jesus Christ's body was broken for us. A few months ago, I was reading just for myself through the Gospels and I got to the chapter where Jesus had been arrested and brought before Pilate and then beaten. You know, if you look in the Roman Empire and look at the description of Roman soldiers, they were, they were bulked up. They were extremely strong. You know what, I, what struck me? 
not only the fact that they beat him, but it says when they tired, when these guys tired, not Jesus, whose back was in strips of uh, flesh, when they tired, they stopped. That's the third tree, where Jesus took the sins of all the disobediences of you and I and of the world and paid for them on the cross. Just bow your head with me, please. Oh, Spirit of God. Spirit of God. Spirit of God, move among these pews. His precious people, men and women, young adults, teenagers, children, grandparents. We thank you that your word is forever settled in heaven. Thank you that there's no sin that the cross of Christ cannot cancel and forgive. There's no disobedience that you cannot remove from us. You take out of us a heart of stone. You put a heart of flesh. You put with, with, within us the will and the desire to obey you. And that's my prayer. Lord, I thank you for what I'm seeing at Weston Road Church. I thank you, Lord, for families who are coming. I thank you, Lord, for the building that's being renovated. Because it's another generation, Lord. And they see things and understand things in a way that only you can help your servants to deliver the word of God. And in ways that will help these people understand. Bless the leadership of this church and guide them, Lord, as, as they prepare for another generation of believers to come. But, Lord, it's the same word. It's the same message. It's the same gospel, the same Savior. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I thank you for that. I ask that while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, is there someone here that maybe God has spoken to you and you need to receive prayer. You just feel like God is dealing with your life. You need prayer. Just lift your hand. No one's going to embarrass you. This is a safe church. People will pray for you. If you need prayer, just lift your hand. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, thank you, Lord. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. Would you just stand where you are right now, those of you who lifted your hand? Church, let's just keep praying. Thank you, Jesus. Don't be shy. We pray to the God who answers prayer, the one who made the way where there seemed to be no way, the one who closed, who closed the mouth of lions and took the heat in the fiery furnace, the one who understands a mother's heart for her children, who understands a father's burden for his family, 
the one who understands a young man or a young woman facing an uncertain future and asking God, direct my path. The one who knows that without you, we can do nothing. So Lord, whatever the needs are represented in these who are standing, I pray your uncommon favor to come on their lives. I pray your blessing to be with them. I ask that you would hear their prayer and answer them. Lord, in ways that will bring glory to you and blessing to them. Lord, continue to bless the ministry of this church. May it bear much fruit. May it bear much fruit for your honor and glory. And this I pray in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people say, would you stand? We'll receive the blessing. Just lift your hands to receive the blessing. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you. May the Lord turn His countenance towards you and give you peace. May He watch your going in and your coming out. And may the Lord of the harvest bless your work and cause it to prosper for His glory. In Jesus' name. And all God's people say, All God's people say, and we shout, hallelujah. Let's say it. We shout, hallelujah. Oh, let's give God a clap offering. Say, God is a good God. We praise Him. We thank Him. We glorify Him today. Hallelujah. Greet many people before you leave, especially the leadership here. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear about it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.